I'd like to thank the praise team for leading us so well with songs that point us to Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, and the assurance, the strength, the steadfastness that we know we can hold on to in him, just as we sang in this last song. This morning, we're continuing in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, uh, this wonderful passage where Christ is seeking to assure and prepare his disciples And in doing so, he assures us and prepares us for the task that he's given us as well. If you will, please go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read from the text, verses 12 through 17. We're going to focus on these six verses this morning. Starting in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you. We hear this command. Lord, when we're honest, we realize just how impossible this command is for us apart from you. But Lord, we know from this text, as Christ has so graciously been teaching his disciples and through them us, Lord, you want us to see the impossibility of the task ahead so that we might trust in you. For Lord, in you, that which is impossible has been made possible. Lord, you give us the strength to love. For, Lord, you had loved us when we were still enemies of you. Lord, you sent your Son to reconcile us despite our sin, despite our rebellion. Lord, as we see Christ's command to abide in his love, to keep his commandments, Lord, to love one another this morning, May we see that we have no hope. We cannot do this, Lord, apart from finding our life in Christ, seeing the sacrifice that he made for us, repenting and trusting in him. Lord, as we see your word, as you convict us, Lord, may you begin a work in our hearts. May we truly be a people who love one another, Lord, because of how you have loved us. May we be a group of people, a group of disciples who love one another and so prove to the world, Lord, that we are your disciples. Lord, you have begun a work in us. Lord, we pray and we know that you will finish it. May your word convict. May your word humble. Lord, may your word give us life this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. You may be seated. 
So last week we talked about how Jesus is the true vine. We looked at what he meant by the vine and we realized, hey, once again, Jesus is preaching out of the Old Testament, but showing how he has fulfilled the promises God made back then. We, we looked back at the Psalms, we looked at the prophets, how they talked about the vine that Israel was, the chosen vine of God, but how they produced bad fruit. And Jesus said, look, I am the true vine. I am coming to fulfill all that Israel didn't do, all that you, even talking to the disciples, have failed to do, which is to obey the Lord, to keep his commandments, to follow him in faith. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And he's saying, I'm telling you, he tells the disciples, you must remain in me if you want to have life. If you are to have life, you must abide in me. We saw that the command to abide wasn't just a, a promise of life, but the command to abide was a warning. You see, if we don't abide in Christ, if we abide in anything other than Christ, we're only going to find death. As we read, there, if the branches that do not abide, they are, <clears throat> they are thrown away like a branch and withered. The branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire and burned. If we are not abiding in the true vine, the one who brings life, the one who has brought life to us, accomplished salvation for us, we do not have a hope. This week, as we're looking at verses 12 through 17, we realize they, it's the same message but Jesus is expounding on it. Jesus is unpacking this metaphor of what does it mean to abide in the vine. And we'll see this connection immediately as we read through these verses. See, Jesus first tells the disciples they are to abide in the vine in verse 4. Then we're told in verse 9, abide in my love. So we see this transition. Abide in the true vine. He says, abide in my love. Remain in my love. So we can see these verses 9 through 17, but what we're focusing on today mostly is 12 through 17. They're an explanation of this metaphor. It's a, it's a further explanation so that we can understand okay, what does Jesus mean by this command? This part could get a little confusing if it's misunderstood. I'll let R.C. Sproul explain. He, he says this, he says it seems as if Jesus was telling his disciples I'll love you as long as you are obedient. But the moment you're disobedient, you can kiss my love goodbye. That, that could be our initial first reading. But that's not the thrust of what Jesus was saying. Sproul says this, He gave a weighty mandate to his disciples to persevere in their faith, to stay close to him, to be fruitful, to be obedient. It's a weighty command. What he's actually saying here is, If you stay in my love, you will be obedient. If you stay in my love, you will be obedient. His love is not a result of our obedience. Rather, our obedience is the result of our love for him. I want us to see this this morning as we see this text. It's going to become more and more clear. See, this call to, this call to love so that we might obey, it finds its roots both here in this command, abide in my love that we see in verse 9, but we also see it in the calling in verse 16. Remember, we've got to take a passage in its whole, see how it works together. See, in verse 16, 
he says, you, Jesus says to the disciples, you did not choose me. So that takes the whole effort of, well, I've got to choose to obey. Well, Jesus says, you didn't, I, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You see, this call to obey finds its roots both in the promise of life but also the promise that God has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. He has called us by His grace to follow Him in obedience. You see, Jesus doesn't just command us to love. But what we see this morning in this text, throughout all of Scripture, He doesn't just command us to love, but He enables us to love. How does He do this? Well, that's my proposition this morning. That we would see this. Jesus has come to die so that we might know what true love is and that we might love truly. Jesus has come to die so that we might know what true love is and that we might love truly. I want us to look at this first in verse 12 as we work through the passage. We see this, we're commanded to love. See, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, we have to see this command to love in light of Jesus' death. After all, he's commanding us to follow his example. As I think back to the fall, what happened to Adam and Eve, ultimately they believed a lie. They began to doubt who God was and what he had said. You see, sin has this way of blinding us to all that is good, and in this blindness we actually become ignorant of what good really is. So this command to love, it could sound kind of easy, maybe accessible at first. See, our blindness to what good really is, it often finds its way into our ideas of what's good, how we seemingly can justify our own actions or the actions of someone we admire. We can call someone a good person despite terrible character flaws that have brought about terrible consequences. We do so because we feel sorry for them or we know secretly we have the same flaws within ourselves. See, we can't know what it is really to love. This, we can't understand this command to love apart from Christ. See, he says, we say to ourselves, I'm a good person. And we do it by foolishly comparing ourselves to others. And we say, yeah, I love others as they love me, but what Jesus says is, look, I want you to draw your definition of love according to how I have loved. See, Jesus commands us to love one another as he has loved us. See, we could never love as Jesus has loved, but we're still called to do it. It's mind-blowing to think of the extent of Christ's love. That he would love us fallen creatures, broken, sinful, rebellious. So often spitting in the face of God by choosing what we want over what he has commanded. How could we ever really love as Christ has loved? 
See, this command to love, even as mind-blowingly hard, as difficult as it becomes when we see the example Christ has set before us, that command still remains. But it is a command that is possible because with God all things are possible. It is not we who have chosen, but he has chosen us, and what he begins he will finish. See, in Christ we've been given the ultimate example of humility and love. It is his humility and love which has made possible our own obedience. We've got we to get that. His example of obedience and love and selflessness is what enables us to obey as well. We read this in Paul's letter to the Philippians, one we worked through as a church just a couple years ago. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, Paul's laying out what does it look like for us to love one another as Christ has loved us. And we see, man, this is going to take us completely dying to ourselves. But Paul goes on. Because he says, in light of these commands, of being selfless, considering others more significant than ourselves, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Christ, we've been given the ultimate example of humility and love, obedience to the Father, but it's in his example that we are now able. Why does Paul say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus? If you are in Christ Jesus, this can be your example, this can be your mindset, this can be your heart as well, if you identify in him. How do we identify in Christ? We must see what he did for us. This introduces our next point. See, we know that we are commanded to love, and we see the perfect example of love in Christ. We see that love is defined by self-giving. This is how Wayne Grudem defines love. It's it's self-giving for the benefit of others. And Jesus defines this even more clearly in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, and someone lay down his life for his friends. See, as we look at how love is defined by self-giving, we see this first. Jesus, the disciples may not get this right now, Jesus dies for his friends. See, obviously this wasn't a lesson that kicked in immediately for the disciples. If we thought, oh, as soon as we're supposed to hear this, as soon as they hear this, they're going to respond in obedience and faith. We know that's not true because what happens in just a couple of hours? They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
when the chief priests send the soldiers, they come, they come for Jesus, do they lay down their life for their Messiah, their rabbi, their friend? No, they all go running. You see, it's only after Jesus gives up his life and they see it truly for what it is that the magnitude of his love becomes clear to them but when they see their Savior, after he's told them, it's no, there's no greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When they see what Christ does for them the next day, when he's on that tree, they see Christ's selfless love. They know that he's innocent. They know he didn't deserve it. They know he was on that tree for them. And when they see that, it changes. Listen to John in his letter, 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, John has given us the example. What does it look like to love as Christ loved? He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? His little children. And you've got to understand, when he writes little children, he's not writing because he's writing to little kids. He's writing to the church. And John, the, the old man that he was when he wrote this, has every right as the leader of the church the last of the apostles to be alive, he can say, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, Jesus laid down his life for us. By this, we know he calls us friend. But it was only by his laying down his life that we can become his friend. You see, because before we were his friends, before we are his friends, we must realize we were his enemies. We read this in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is defined by self-giving, and we see this love perfectly portrayed, perfectly defined by Christ's selfless sacrifice for us. But we are called to love ourselves. What does this mean? Jesus died so that we might be called friend of God. But then in verse 14, we see him say, If you are my friends, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You see, Jesus still warns the disciples. He's preparing them for what is to come. They're not yet able to respond because they've not yet seen his sacrifice and what that truly means. 
But he says, if you want to know if you're my friend, you are my friend if you do what I command you. What has he commanded us to do? He's commanded us to abide in him, and by abiding in him, to love one another. To abide in him, and by abiding in him, to know what it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we find ourselves in Christ, when we find our whole identity in the one who sacrificed his life, sacrificed all for us, has rescued us from sin and its consequences, we find life and we know what it is to love. Apart from him, we will not know love. We can know what good is. We can know what the world would define as love, which is really just this feeling. We know what true love is. True love is defined by the selfless giving. And we know that God is the definition of true love because he selflessly gave of himself to reconcile us even though we were still sinners. So you can't really say that you are a friend if you don't listen to your friend. You can't really say that you're a friend if you don't bother to hear what has been said, what has been done for you. John says again in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. that again, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, we need to see what it means to be a friend of God. It means to be one who recognizes the sacrifice that Christ made for us. It's not about what we did. John just made that clear. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first. You want to know what it means, what it is to be a friend of God? You see that he made you a friend of him. You had nothing to do with it. He reconciled you by his selfless grace, his selfless mercy on your soul, even while you were still a sinner. When we understand this, we can understand then what does it mean to obey him? We see that obeying him, it equals abiding in him, and abiding him equals obeying him. There are going to be fruit that comes by doing the same. It's going to be this cycle that's going to end up growing us, making us more and more like him. You see, this is how we find confidence in verse 16. Christ chooses his disciples so that they may bear fruit. He calls us to abide. He commands us to love one another. And he does so because he's called us out for a purpose. He's saying, step into it. I've made it possible. You trust in me. Abide in me. Find life in me. You'll be able to do as I've commanded you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It's really interesting here. That he doesn't just say, I chose you, appointed you, now abide. 
you obey me so you can go bear fruit. No, he says, you should, I appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You've got to take that right back and we see that that connects right back to the beginning. Our fruit abides. It means we abide. It produces fruit that causes us to abide in him more, that produces more fruit, that produces more fruit. We become the fruit bearers that God has desired to reach the world as we abide in him. As we abide in Him, we desire to obey Him because abiding in Him means recognizing what He did for us, how He's loved us. So, Christian, if there's no fruit in your life, is it possibly because you've not even bothered to see what Christ has done for you? You've become numb, dull of hearing. You haven't looked to the cross. You haven't meditated on what it means that he died for you that while you were still yet a sinner there's no some there's not some secret way to grow in the christian faith it's meditating on the cross it's looking at what christ has done it's abiding in that recognition because what it does it humbles us it brings us low it shows us look i'm not worthy i have no reason to hold myself above someone else The only way that I can grow is as I depend on Him. That's why Paul says in Philippians, humble yourselves, be a servant, look to the example that Christ set for you. If we desire to grow, we've got to put ourselves in the true vine. The only one who gives life. But in this, we should take heart. If Christ has chosen us, it is with the express purpose that we would bear fruit. So even if you see your life and you see there's not been fruit coming from you, there's an easy solution. It's going to take your pride away from you, but it's look to the cross, humble yourself, repent, confess your sin, confess your rebellion and say, Lord, use me. Show me what it is to love as you have loved. And he will work in you. Maybe you haven't yet trusted in Christ. But you're hearing this this morning. You see that Christ, he died for you. That God sent His Son. He came down to this earth, though He did not have to, and He suffered and bled, took on your punishment for you. You know that your life, you know by the way you're living, and you've seen this example of love, this perfect definition of love in God, and you say, wait a second, I don't know what it means to love. I don't know what it means to be good. I need to know. I need to experience this. I realize how broken I am, how much of a sinner I am. If that's you this morning, there's hope. Confess your sin. Come before God in humility. As we read in Isaiah this morning, what does God desire? A humble and contrite heart. See your need. Come to your Savior in repentance and faith and trust that Christ has provided life for you. You see, why has Christ reconciled us you know this is really how i think this passage gets summed up 
You've got to remember he's preparing the disciples. They're, they're about to experience his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion and death. He wants them to know that he's doing all that to save them, to reconcile them. He's preparing for them, but at the end of this, why ultimately is he reconciling us? It's so that we will love one another. And that's not in some just shallow way that we say, okay, we've got to be nice to each other. No, he wants us to love one another as he has loved us. Again, this is all summed up in the great commands. We've already seen this in John in chapter 13. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, as we look back, we see that this love can't be defined by how we want it to feel, by just being nice to one another, by just deferring to the interest of of someone else, we say, look, this love must be defined as Christ has defined love, which is the selfless giving, what he has accomplished, redemption for our sins, even though we didn't deserve it. That is the ultimate love by which we are defined. And then from the outpouring of that, we can show grace to one another as we point each other to the truth of God and his word. You see, that verse in John 13 and this verse in chapter, seven, chapter 15, it takes us all the way back to Leviticus. This isn't something new from God. We've talked about this a couple months ago. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God giving the law to Israel from the beginning has told them to love. see that you're to love your neighbor as yourself this is made even more clear how can you truly love love as i have loved you why has christ reconciled us so that we might be called friends of god that we might live in peace with our creator that we might glorify god just as we were created to do in the first place He loved us so that we might walk in righteousness that we did not earn with a love that is not our own and a grace that proclaims God's glory. You get that? He loved us that we might walk in righteousness that we did not earn with a love that is not our own and a grace that proclaims God's glory. this love that we're called to live it's only been made possible by Christ it's only been made possible by his sacrifice and we see that no one, no greater love is there than that someone would lay down his life for his friends this is made even more clear when we see just we weren't friends of God when he gave, that, gave his life for us how much greater is Christ's love for us then. See, Christ has reconciled us so that we would love one another because he desires to use us, because he desires that all would 
believe. That all would repent and find hope in Him. But specifically, you know, we've got to remember, He's talking to the disciples here. So there is a specific context in which if the disciples, these 11 men, because Judas is about to go, if they can't get what Christ did for them, if they don't understand the sacrifice, the true love that He's expressed to them, the salvation He's accomplished for them, if that doesn't translate to them being able to love each other, then the church would have never grown. But see, He's telling them, if you want to bear fruit, if you desire to do as I've called you to do, you've got to remain in Me. You've got to abide in Me. So we need to take this warning... This warning as a promise that if we aren't abiding in His love, if we're not remaining in the love of Christ, constantly going back and humbling ourselves before the cross, we shouldn't expect to see God's love exemplified amongst us. You see, love It builds up for the sake of the glory of God. It builds up for the sake of the glory of God, and it does so through the obedience to His Word. We must be a people who listen to what God says, and we trust that He speaks the truth. Paul, in Ephesians 4, really works out a great application for this. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7 and 11 through 16. Because I think it's a, it's a word that we need to hear as a church. Paul tells the Ephesians here, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See that Paul, even as he is urging the church to walk in light of this salvation that's been offered to him, he reminds them that it's by grace and grace that was given to each of you. Paul goes on in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember, what are we called to do in John 15? We are called to love as He has loved us. Paul goes on, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, we have been saved. We have been redeemed to be people who reflect the glory of God as we love as God has loved us. As we love according to the way God has commanded us. As we love His commands and we seek to model our life underneath their authority. Even when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, He spoke the truth in love by telling them of their brokenness, by making them see, preparing them even in this moment to say, look, greater love has no one than this than someone who would lay down his life for his friends. They may have been thinking, yeah, that, that's true. It's not an uncommon saying. But what does he go and do? He does give up his life, but he gives up his life as an innocent one for those who were transgressors before God. See, Jesus spoke the truth and lo- spoke the truth in love to us by telling us that we were sinners in desperate need of the salvation that he has made possible. Jesus spoke the truth when he showed his disciples what true love really looked like. Selflessness for the glory of God, for the sake of his church, not for the church's sake, but so that the church might proclaim the excellencies of the Savior who redeemed them and that the church might be the vehicle by which God can bear fruit and bring more so that even more will bear fruit for the glory of God. So what will it look like for our church to be a people who follow Christ's example of love? We will be a people who keep His commandment by abiding in Him. When we say abide in his love, what does that mean? Well, we know what is the definition of love. We read that from Paul to John. We see that the definition of his love is his selfless act of sacrifice to redeem us. So for us to abide in him, to find life in him, it means for us to remain, to meditate, to dwell on his sacrifice on the cross, the life that he has provided for us. We must be a people who keep his commandments by abiding in his love. We must remember what he did for us so that we might step forward in faithfulness. Remember, he he didn't just couple this command with, okay, do this, or he said, but remember, I chose you. We must remember that he has called us out of darkness. He has called us to live for him, and knowing that, we can trust that he is capable of, of doing this work in us and completing this work in us, but we must depend and submit. We must abide in Him. We must know that He has made us who were His enemies, His friends. We will be a people who love even those who are our enemies, those who we disagree with, those who are at odds with us, whether they be outside the church, but especially if they be inside the church. We must love them with the same grace, the same love that God has shown us. We must be willing to listen 
even if we don't like what we're hearing. But we must be a people who love just as God has loved us. We will be a people who love those who seem hopeless. There's a lot of people who our society would deem as hopeless. They might be in here. They're definitely outside. But look, we were hopeless. Apart from God's grace, we were hopeless. How could we ever begin to think that anyone is without hope? Because look, we were hopeless. But God has redeemed us. And God will redeem any who come to Him in repentance and faith. So what is our calling to do then? We have to be a people who love them. What is the way in which we love them? It's not just by being kind to them. It's by telling them, look, you're headed toward hell. You're headed towards condemnation. But there's hope. But are we going to tell them where their hope is? It's not hope in Remember, it's not keep my commandments and then you'll be my friends. It's hope. You tell them, no, you repent of your sins. Abide in the true vine, the one who gives life. So how do we give love? How do we love those who seem hopeless, those who are caught up in their sins? Maybe you are one of them. What is the hope for you? It is to find life in Christ and in Him alone. It is to forsake all the things of this world and placing your faith in Him, trusting in Him. We've got to remember that as a people who are called to love the hopeless. Because the same, the same love that compels us to love them is the love that will rescue them. And they need to hear that. That God, by His grace, saves sinners. We must be a people who are quick to forgive wrongs against one another. We're to forgive as God has forgiven us, but we must be quick but gentle to show one another how we have transgressed our holy God. We often get this first part at least more right than the second. We know we're supposed to forgive as Christ forgave us, but we also forget because it's very difficult sometimes to show one another just how we've transgressed our holy God but that's what it means when scripture tells us to exhort one another to challenge one another I need to hear where I have sinned in my life and I need you to be a church that comes and tells me I need to be a pastor who's going to say look this doesn't look like you're abiding in Christ the fruit that's in your life right now it doesn't look like you're finding life in the one who redeemed you by his selfless sacrifice. If that's the case, look, it's not condemnation that we heap upon one another, but it's hope because we remind each other of the forgiveness and grace that God has shown us because how has Christ loved us? He died for us to rescue us so that we might have life and life abundant. There's not condemnation when we exhort one another, but there's grace through love. There's a promise, a 
promise as we speak the truth in love, the same love that we're reading about in John 15, Paul says in Ephesians. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. So speak the truth in love so that each of us may work properly as members of the body of Christ. What happens when we are a people who are abiding in the love of God, when we are a people who are speaking the truth in love to one another? It will make the body of Christ grow so that it builds itself up in love. To be a church which abides in Christ's love, we must know our Savior. We must know the sin from which he's rescued us. To be a church that is growing, that is building itself up in love, we must know and experience this love together. That's going to take us dying to ourselves recognizing the selfless sacrifice that God has, has given in his son to redeem us. And it's going to force us to say, hey, look, how am I abiding in Christ today? We can ask each other this. And I want to encourage you as we go forth this week to ask one another, whether it be through a conversation, through a text, through a phone call, just say, hey, are you abiding in Christ? Are you finding life in him today? How can I pray that you would die to the things of this world and that you would be abiding in him today? We can, that's how we're going to build each other up. So why don't you go ahead and commit today in your mind. Go ahead and pick somebody out in this room, somebody you know, and think, hey, I'm going to commit this week to call them, to encourage them, to pray for them, and to ask them to speak the truth in love. If we're doing this, guys, this is wonderful. God will grow us. We will become, as a church, all of us gathered here, more mature, mature in Christ. He will use us more, and as he said, your fruit should abide. We will abide more, and we'll bear more fruit, and God will bring more to know him, and this community might just be changed by people who are abiding in Christ. So would you commit with me this week to ask each other, how are you abiding in Christ? Are you finding life in him today and every day? We've got a promise. A promise from God, his word, that he will grow his church when we seek to speak the truth in love and to love as he has loved us. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you, please. You've heard the truth this morning. You've heard the life that is offered to you. Confess, come before the Lord in repentance, and he has life and life abundant. It's waiting for you if you'll trust in him. If you need to know more of what that looks like, you need to be encouraged, and you want to talk through that, I would love to talk with you. Pastor John would love to talk with you. We want to encourage you to find life in Christ. My fellow church members, we've got the command. We've been given the promise. Are we going to abide in our Savior and His love today? Let's pray.